If you got your Bible with you tonight, let me encourage you to open it with me to a couple of places. Uh, go first, if you will, to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And then find Isaiah 43. And then lastly, Acts 3. So Psalm 51, Isaiah 43, and Acts chapter 3. So tonight we're going to conclude our current series. Over the last three months, we've looked at what God does with our sin and the associated bliss that comes when we understand the action that he has taken. In this study, we've discovered that fundamentally and foundationally, God has laid our sin upon his son. This is what's known as penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, that there on the cross, Christ took our punishment. He bore the wrath of God in our place as our substitute, whereby he made atonement for our sins. And this is the heart of the gospel, that Christ did not suffer for sin that he committed, for he knew no sin, but he suffered because our sin was placed upon him. God doesn't simply dismiss our sin, uh, that would be unjust. He's a holy God, and he cannot act unjustly, so he cannot simply dismiss uh, the sin that has been committed by us. It must be judged. It must be dealt with. So he placed it upon his son, and in doing so, it allows him to be both just in punishing sin, but also to be the justifier of sinners, where Christ has taken our place. So the most important thing that God has done with our sin is placed it upon his son. And then building upon that in the study, we've seen how God has forgiven our sins. That is, he has chosen not to remember them against us. Uh, forgiveness does not equate to forgetting. We'll talk a little bit more about this tonight. Uh, God is omniscient. He knows all things. God can forget nothing. We do not want a forgetful God. Could you imagine if God could forget how bad would it be if on that day you stood before him to gain entrance into uh, the glories of heaven? And God said, I, I'm sorry, I, I've forgotten who you are. Well, that would be just kind of disappointing, wouldn't it? God does not forget. He does not forget our sins. Rather, he chooses not to remember them. We also have seen that God has cleansed us from our sin. Uh, that is, he washes our sin away. In this, he not only renders us not guilty, but also pure. He, he removes the stain of sin, that stain that is impressed upon our hearts and the de very depths of our soul. The, the gospel goes deeper than the stain has gone. We also saw in the study that God covers our sin and that he has cast them away from his presence. In these actions, God is not looking upon our sin. Therefore, he does not see us as sinners. He sees us as righteous. In Psalm 51, David taught us that if we will uncover our sin, God will cover it. But if we seek to keep our sin covered, we can know then that God will ultimately uncover it himself. And then, a few weeks ago in the book of Exodus, we saw that God passed over our sin. The blood sacrifice uh, there in Exodus that was given to the people of God was a sign to them 
that God's judgment would not be held against them and their sin. On that night, he would pass over their sin. And in the gospel, through the blood of his son, that's what God does with ours as well. He passes over us. His judgment is not meted out against our sin. And then last week, we saw that God has placed his foot upon the neck of our sin and trampled it into the dust. Our God is a warrior king, and he has delivered us from the bondage of our sin. And with his foot upon its neck, he is not allowing it to rise up and condemn us anymore. So we've seen already that God has done some glorious things with our sin. And tonight we conclude with one more act. Tonight we will see in Scripture that God has blotted out our sins. What does God do with our sins? He blots them out from our record. So if you have your Bibles open, let's begin in Psalm 51. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. These are familiar verses. We've seen them previously in the study. But tonight we'll zero in on the last line of verse 1, and then we'll hear it again in verse 9. So as I read, follow along, and hear God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So twice in this psalm where David is confessing his sin that he committed in his adulterous act with Bathsheba, then resulting in the murderous act of her husband Uriah, David asked the Lord, blot out my transgressions, blot out my iniquities. David's not the only one to use this language. Go with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. We'll hear the prophet now speaking on behalf of the Lord, speaking a word from the Lord. So David used the language in Psalm 51. Now it is the Lord himself using this language. Isaiah 43. I'm going to read verse 25. 
Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he. It's the Lord speaking. I, I am, the great I am, Yahweh. I am he who does what? Who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your ways. So David is not just asking the Lord to do something that he does not expect or that God is incapable of doing. The Lord here himself acknowledges, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Now, go to the very next chapter, Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. We'll read verses 21 and 22. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So in the span of two chapters, in just a few verses, the Lord is reminding his people, informing his people that he is one who blots out their transgressions. Now go with me to the New Testament, Acts chapter 3. This message isn't just for the people of God in the Old Testament, but this is the message of the gospel in Acts 3, Peter, Peter is preaching uh, there in Solomon's portico. The church has been birthed and God is at work. The gospel is being proclaimed. And listen to what Peter says in Acts 3, verse 17. Acts 3, beginning with verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So Peter here is saying, I, I, I realize that you know, y'all acted in ignorance, understanding, knowledge of who Jesus was, what he came to do, but yet this was foretold by the prophets that Christ would suffer and he has and fulfilled the plan of God. And then in verse 19, Peter gives them the application of the gospel, the good news of Christ. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. This is the gospel. This is the good news that that God blots out our sins. So what does that mean? As we hear the language of Scripture uh, bringing this to the forefront for uh, several occasions, what, what bearing does that have? Well, we know tonight that one of the essential attributes of God is His omniscience. It's what it means to be God. To know all things. Nothing is hidden from his sight. If he's not omniscient, then he's not God. It's what makes him who he is. The Bible upholds this 
uh, from cover to cover. Psalm 147, uh, verse 5, he is infinite in his knowledge. He's infinite in, I means he, he knows absolutely everything. God never learns anything because he knows everything. Matthew 10, verse 30, he knows the very number of hairs that are upon our heads. It's the way in which uh, Jesus is describing to us the infinite knowledge of God, his omniscience, his, his all-knowing ability. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, the Hebrew writer takes this essential attribute of God, his, his knowing of all things, and fleshes this out for us to, to understand that that's kind of a terrifying thought. There's nothing hidden from God's sight. Our understanding of God's infinite knowledge is that He knows quite well all of our sin. Because God is omniscient, He knows every sin that we have ever committed and will commit. He, he knows the actual things that we do. He, he knows the things the, the thoughts that, that run through our, our minds, but yet we never express, they are not lost to Him. And He knows even the things we don't do, but we should do. He knows all of our sin. Nothing of us is hidden from His eyes. Even when we may try, we simply cannot hide our sin from Him. This was the foolishness of our first parents in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Their eyes were both opened, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They weren't just trying to cover their nakedness, they were trying to cover their shame from God. But yet in the very next verses, the Bible tells us that God came walking into the garden and confronted them over their sin. So our knowledge of God's knowledge of our sin, when understood appropriately, really is a terrifying thought. That God knows every sin, every transgression, every iniquity. God knows it. And to stand before Him in that condition, and with such knowledge possessed by Him, being terrified then is certainly justifiable. This is why the Hebrew writer said it is in fact a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This was uh, the foundation of the sermon of Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He knows your sin and he is holy and righteous and just. And he knows every last one. We would probably do well to think on that a little more often. But the mere thought of it is enough to paralyze us with fear. To cause us to literally crumble. But yet in the gospel, in the gospel, God has dealt with our sin. 
And while the record of our life, the recounting of our life, will certainly detail and count more sins than we ever care to admit and acknowledge. And God has a very accurate, perfect accounting of our life. Thereby, He knows each sin. Each one is recorded accurately and true. That's the record of our life contained by Him. That's what we come before Him with. But yet, by His grace, He has blotted those sins out of the record. This is what David prayed for. This is what Isaiah proclaimed that the Lord Himself said that He would do. This is what Peter preached. We are sinners with a a record, a litany of sins to account for, but yet through the gospel and by His grace, God has blotted them off of our page. That word blot that is used in Scripture, it literally means to be wiped out, to strike out, to obliterate even. What a glorious picture that is. In the details of our life, the account of our existence, the all-knowing God has redacted and expunged every sin that we have committed. He blots out our transgressions. In recent years, we've seen numerous occasions where government-classified documents have been released. These have come about in a variety of ways. Some illegally, some through the request for information, some through trials and hearings that have been held on Capitol Hill. And still in many of those instances, as these documents have been released, they contain redactions that have been made. You've probably seen some of these documents online or in news reports. There sits a page with paragraphs and information, but yet there, in the middle of a paragraph, in a line, will be a black box. The information contained behind it, the name or the confidential source, whatever it may be, covered, blotted over. Stroked out. David, Isaiah, and Peter, they're telling us tonight in these verses that we looked at that that's exactly what God has done with the record and details of sin in our life. He has blotted them out. They cannot be seen, they cannot be read against us, they cannot be revealed before Him. I think, be honest with yourself tonight, I think we go through life as believers motivated primarily by guilt. Because we think that we're going to stand before God and there before Him, this infinitely holy and glorious and majestic being, 
who knows all things, everything about us, there before him we will stand and our sins will be counted and recalled. That there before him our darkest transgressions will be made known. So therefore we we limp through the Christian life We walk down the road of discipleship with guilt consuming us, knowing that we will one day stand before Him. This God who knows all things, and He knows what we did in secret. He knows the the secret thoughts that run through our mind. He, He knows the depravity that no one else has ever seen that resides within our hearts. And we're consumed with guilt and knowing that we will stand before Him. That's not going to happen. Let me say that again. That's not going to happen. When you and I get to heaven, when we stand before the Lord, He will not replay the reel of our life and show us every sin that we have ever committed. He will not replay the thoughts that we thought had been kept secret. He will not replay the moments of outburst and anger and sin. He he will not replay that reel of our life. For God's children, there will be no wrongs to be read because He, He is the one who blots out our transgressions. Our eternal record before Him, it may be page after page of black box and black box, but those wrongs will not be read. He has blotted them out. According to Isaiah 44, 22, God has blotted out our transgressions like a cloud that is whisked away in the sky by the winds of a hurricane. He's blotted out our transgressions, our sins, like they were a morning mist or a fog that is removed by the rising sun. That fog is burned off. The blaze of the gospel of Jesus Christ has burned off our sin. He's blotted them out. This is what Peter preached in Acts 3. Repent, turn, that your sins may be blotted out. It's a picture of a courtroom almost. We stand there before a judge, and the attorney is called, and the charges are asked to be read. What is the charge which this defendant is is being uh, dealt with today? What is being levied against him? And in the actual courtroom, those charges are read, and the trial ensues. But In the heavenly courtroom, as we stand there before a heavenly judge and the charges are called for, silence fills the space. Oh yes, there's an accounting of everything that we have done that's not lost on a holy and an omniscient God, but there's nothing to be reported, there's nothing to be read because He has blotted out our transgressions. like a cloud that is whisked away, 
like a mist that is a vapor and then gone. So he has dealt with our sins. Peter preached that gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that our eternal record is wiped clean. All condemning evidence is dismissed. Our sins are not counted. What a glorious thought. What a glorious thought that he blots out our sins, that I I don't have to limp through my Christian life motivated by guilt to thinking that if I do something or don't do something, that God is going to shame this, uh, use this to shame me before him in his presence on that day. No, he blots out our sins. But why? Have you ever asked why? Why does God do that? What a glorious thing. I mean, we're guilty. We're condemned. That's that's us. Yes, that's my life. But but why would God take such action with our sin? Well, I think Isaiah 43, 25 holds the answer for us. We read it. I'm going to read it again. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Why? Why would God blot out our sins? Why would he not remember them? Why would he forgive us our sins? Why would he cleanse us of all unrighteousness? Why would he trample our sin into the dust? Why would he pass over our sin? Why would he lay our sins upon his son? I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. Put in any action that we've studied that God takes with our sin right there. I, I am he who lays your sin upon my son. I, I am he who cleanses you. I, I am he who forgives. And on and on we could go. I am he who does it for my own sake. There's your answer to why. Why does God take such action? He says, I do it for my own sake. For my name's sake. God takes this action for his own glory. For his glory. For his fame. He does such things with our sin. Now, we see that, I say that, and you think, okay, we we talk a lot about God's glory here at Poplar Springs. That's good, that's good. You can't gloss over this. You just, you know, okay, yeah, God's glory. That's, it's like the second answer in Sunday school. Jesus and God's glory. Oh. When God says he does this for his own sake, he's saying he does this for his name's sake. For the fame of his name, he takes such action. And we find that all throughout Scripture as well. Uh, we're not going to read... All of these, these are just in the Psalms. 
But let me give you the first one, and then I'll give you the other references. Psalm 23, you, you know that psalm, right? You learned it when you were just a child. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For what? His namesake. He does these things for his glory. The psalmist says it again in Psalm 25, 11. He says it again in Psalm 31, 3. He says it again in Psalm 79, 9. He says it again in Psalm 109, 21. And there's other verses that we could go to outside of those. It's just the refrain of Scripture that God acts for His own name, for His own sake, for His own glory. Now think about that with me for a moment. If you go and do something for your own self, for your own glory, for your own fame, what does that make you? Conceited? Prideful? Selfish? Vain? Right? They did that for themselves. They're all about them. You've heard that. Just, all they care about is them. That's all they care about. Just themselves. They're navel gazers. It's all about them. But yet God says, that's why I do what I do, for my own sake. For the sake of my name. So that seems prideful. That seems selfish. And for us to act in such a way, yes. Yes, it is. It absolutely is but not for God. I would just remind you, there are some distinct differences between us and Him. So for God to act for the sake of His own name, for the fame of His name, for His own glory, is not prideful, it is not selfish. Because in taking such action, under such motivation, God is acting particularly in dealing with our sins, blotting out our transgressions for his own sake in order that he may remove the hindrance, the very thing, the obstacle, our sin, that would keep us from being able to enjoy him forever. So God in acting for his own glory to remove our sin is not an act of self-exaltation, but rather the greatest act of love we could ever know. It is our sin which keeps us from knowing Him. Thereby limiting us, prohibiting us from knowing God and His glory. The greatest good that we could ever know. So what does God do? He says, for my glory, I'll remove the obstacle that you then may know me. Let me give you the words of Sam Storms. His work has kind of undergirded uh, some of this study, led us through it. Let me give you what he says. God's love for us is measured by the quality of what he gives us. 
And if He is truly to love us, that is, to love us maximally and optimally, He must give us the very best He has. And the very best He has is Himself. There's nothing greater than God. If God should give us something other than Himself, something less than Himself, calling us to love that and worship that or revel in that, it's idolatry. But it's not idolatry to worship the greatest good that there is, the most glorious being that there is, God. So God's love for us is thus seen preeminently when He does whatever is necessary to give us Himself and to awaken our hearts to the incomparable joy of honoring Him as God and praising Him for who He is. Let me say that again. God's love for us is preeminently seen when He takes action to do whatever is necessary to give us the greatest good, which is Himself. And that's what He's done in the Gospel of His Son, in dealing with our sin and taking action against it. Storm continues and he says, Now, does that sound like God loving Himself? Well, yes. Does it sound like God seeking His own glory? Yes. Does it sound like God doing all He does for His own sake? Yes. And yet it is simultaneously God loving us in the most consummate and perfect way possible. The only way it is not an expression of God's love for us is, is if there is something more beautiful than God, with which He can captivate our hearts. But there isn't. So the only way it is not an expression of God's, uh, the only way it is not an expression of God's love for us is that there is something or someone more satisfying, more pleasing, more fascinating, more enthralling than God Himself. But there isn't. So what is being said and that he acts for his own sake, for his own name, is that it is the simplest way of saying that when God seeks his own glory or does anything for his own sake, he is acting out of his love for you and me. So why does God blot out our sins, lay them upon his son, Cleanse us and forgive us and stomp them into the dust and pass over them. Cast them away and not look upon them anymore so that we may know Him. That we may enjoy Him. In doing that, God is bringing us to the greatest glory this world has. So this means then, that our motivation to put off sin is not guilt. You don't fight sin by guilt. And all how we've got to be careful with that. Rather, we fight sin through the glory of God. Believer, you will not stand before God and give account for your sins. That's been dealt with at the cross. They've been laid upon Jesus. Your sins will not be retold. They will not be revealed. 
Christ has dealt with those. So then, and by which we may enjoy the glory of God. So that is the motivating fuel for the Christian life. That is what it means to have our sins blotted out, that the barrier, the hindrance, the obstacle to enjoy God, to delight in Him, to to gaze upon His glory without fear or trepidation, without being in terror, has now been removed. It means that we don't go forward in guilt, but rather we go forward in grace. Knowing what God has done with our sin in the gospel of His Son. So we're going to end tonight with just two final verses. And they come from the little book of Jude in the New Testament. The last two verses of that single chapter, his closing doxology, his closing word of praise. I want you to listen to what Jude says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, listen to this, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Did you hear the word of praise that Jude gave to the Lord? That on that day, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be presented before God blameless. We will stand before Him with every sin redacted, every iniquity removed, every transgression struck through. We will be blameless before His presence. And this is what I love. To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. I think that with great joy functions in two ways. Number one, that day will be our great joy. It won't be fearing and terror. It'll be joy because the gospel has been sufficient and God's grace has carried us through and and our sin has been dealt with. With joy, we will stand before his presence. But I think that joy also applies to the Lord himself. That with great joy, he is going to present us to himself as treasures and riches of his grace and of his glory and his testimony of this gospel of his son, that through that he has taken action against our sin and he has blotted them out never to be read again. He'll do it with delight. Do it with joy. So Christian, don't let guilt be your motivator. You don't put off sin by feeling guilty. You put off sin because God in his glory has dealt with your sin through the gospel of his son. And one day, you'll stand before him blameless. Let's pray. Father, thank you.
for this word tonight. Thank you for the action that you have taken against our sin. Thank you that you have blotted out our transgressions, that you have blotted out our iniquities. Thank you that we have a gospel message to proclaim that Christ Jesus has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled the word of the prophets. He has given his life. He has shed his blood, crucified, buried, risen on the third day, ascended there to the right hand of the Father, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Therefore, repent that your sins may be blotted out. What a glorious message to proclaim. And we thank you that you are the God. It is you. It is you for your own sake, for your own name, for your own glory that has done such glorious things for us. So God, help us to know you. Help us to delight in you. Thank you for what you've done to our sin. Bless these who are before me. Go before us. If it's your will that we should gather this next Lord's Day, let us come eager and longing to gaze upon your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.